Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News. Great to be with you today, as always, and uh, very pleased to welcome into the show our friend, independent pollster Scott Rasmussen. Scott, thanks for joining us today. Boyd, always great to be with you. Hey, there is nothing to talk about, uh, we've decided. Uh, yesterday, we, or last week, we just we covered everything, and uh, I think the nation is, is done and exhausted and spent. Uh, but I guess we should figure out what's going to happen in New Hampshire this week. Yeah, you know, it's it's fascinating. Uh, we had the – everybody was waiting for the, that Iowa caucus. Political junkies everywhere were saying this is going to be a big moment. And it turned out to be a big mess. And now there's a sense that maybe we're not going to have clarity on this race for a long time. The Democrats have five delegates who – or five candidates who have won delegates. Uh, you've also got uh, Tom Steyer who's spending so much money in South Carolina. He might get some delegates in a few weeks. And Michael Bloomberg who's playing big in the Super Tuesday states. So this is a, this is a wide open race for the Democratic nomination. But I do think you have to say Bernie Sanders is the front runner at the moment. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, so interesting that uh, that that's where we've landed at this point in the program. Uh, I want to talk to you for just a second about uh, the former Vice President Joe Biden. A lot of people are wringing their hands about uh, Joe Biden. I've, I've been saying, you know what? It's uh, uh, all he really has to survive is perception. Uh, for the next couple of weeks, because he is strong in South Carolina. He is strong in Nevada. And Pete Buttigieg, by contrast, who has appears to have all this momentum and excitement in uh, New Hampshire and Iowa, uh, is only polling about 5% in South Carolina. Well, I, I think uh, if Joe Biden can get through this week and continue to have some financial support going into Nevada and South Carolina, he certainly has a chance to keep uh, keep going as a viable candidate. Uh, but the one thing, forgetting the specifics of who the nominee will be, uh, it reminded me so much of uh, Republicans four years ago being absolutely convinced that Jeb Bush was going to be the Republican nominee uh, because he was someone that the Republican insiders in Washington were comfortable with. And I think that's part of why Joe Biden's performance uh, may have been uh, not lived up to expectations, because those in the Beltway just, of course, thought he, he was the natural guy. Right, right. So interesting there. And uh, what do you make of uh, we've been saying uh, for a few months now that uh, that Amy Klobuchar is just kind of chipping along as kind of this alternative uh, pragmatist who can really get things done, who knows her way around. Uh, She seems to be getting a little bit of a bump uh, coming out of debate performances in in Iowa. Uh, Any uh, rumblings on the ground there? 
You know, uh, I think she's in a very difficult position, but yes, uh, on paper, she could be a very good candidate uh, if she does well, especially if she finishes ahead of Joe Biden uh, in uh, in New Hampshire. There will be a lot of talk about who's going to be the moderate alternative to Sanders and Warren. Will it be Buttigieg? Will it be Klobuchar? Or will it be uh, Michael Bloomberg? And and for her, simply getting into that conversation is a big step forward from where she was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, Boyd, one of the things you and I have also talked about in the past are these pivot counties, the, you know, the counties that were won by uh, Barack Obama twice and then Donald Trump in 2016. There's 206 of them around the country. More of them are in Iowa than anywhere else. And we did put out a, an analysis this morning uh, showing that in those pivot counties, you know, those swing counties that could decide the election, Pete Buttigieg came out on top in 20 of the 31. And I think the greatest sign of weakness for Joe Biden is he only won one of the 31. And remember, he was on the ticket with Barack Obama when those right. when they won those counties. Yeah. That- uh, so, I, you know, there's a there's a competition for the, the, the Democrats are trying to decide. Do we want to go for those swing voters with a Buttigieg, a Klobuchar, a, uh, a Biden, or do we want to go for a different demographic, a different alignment with Sanders and Warren? Um, and it's a pretty clear divide in the party right now. Yeah, I think those numbers were so fascinating on those swing counties. And again, for our, our listeners, these were these were counties that voted twice for Barack Obama. So in uh, 2008, 2012, and then they flipped and voted for President Trump uh, in 2016. So really interesting. And I, I'm sure that's going to get more interesting as we get into places like Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Ohio and uh, but I want to jump to one other thing, uh, Scott, and that uh, on the uh, New Hampshire and the election base. And then I want to talk a little principal piece with you. Uh, but let's talk about the Bloomberg factor. Uh, he really hasn't engaged, hasn't been on the debate stage. Uh, and yet the betting odds, <laughs> the betting odds, he's still got the second best odds to, to win the nomination, uh, looking solely at uh, Super Tuesday. Yeah, I think, uh, again, that's, uh, there's this perception that, uh, there, if, if Bernie Sanders keeps doing well, there's going to be an anybody but Sanders movement arising. And the question is, who will it get behind? Uh, if Joe Biden keeps stumbling, that leaves either Amy Klobuchar or Pete Buttigieg as the, as the only person standing in New Hampshire, the only people standing in New Hampshire. Um, and they simply don't have the resources that Bloomberg does. Um, uh, and I, I really think that he, could emerge as the viable alternative. Uh, it is a nightmare scenario for Democrats if you have the Sanders team uh, being challenged by a guy who they accuse of, of buying his way into the race, uh, but the establishment Democrats may not have anybody else to get behind. So we're just going to have to wait and see how it plays out. I think, uh, you know, we, we love to all predict what's going to happen and how things are going to unfold. Uh, the reality is we're in uncharted waters. We've never had a candidate spend like Bloomberg after skipping the early debates. We've never had such a heavily weighted, front-loaded schedule as we will have in the Democratic month of March, uh, the Democratic primaries in the month of March. So it's it's very difficult to, to see how this plays out. Um, I do believe if there's not clarity out of tonight, though, again, the odds of a brokered convention mm. will go up. 
That will be uh, popcorn-inducing uh, must-see TV, <laughs> I think. Right. At least for political junkies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Everyone else is going to be out, uh, you know, living their lives and uh, and making a difference in their community. Uh, I want to spend just our last couple of minutes, if you're just joining us, we have Scott Rasmussen, uh, independent pollster on the line, a great partner for us here uh, at the Deseret News and the Hinckley Institute of Politics. And you, you've got a piece that's uh, coming up. We're giving people a little sneak peek today, uh, talking about uh, – how uh, progressive it's kind of the progressive versus Madison's the checks and balances. And you've talked before about the way to deal with the special interest groups. Uh, Madison felt was to make more of them. So they'd have to become allies and alliances. Uh, tell us just a little bit more about that. Give us a little. Pre- yeah. You know, in Madison's view, the ideal solution to the problem of special interest was to have so many that they would all compete with each other. And sometimes they'd work together, sometimes against, We've talked in the last few weeks about how that's actually worked pretty well. Uh, but it's, it, it, and the ideas that that led to were our system of checks and balances in the Constitution, something that most Americans really appreciate. But over the last century and a half, there has been a clear alternative presented to that uh, by the progressive movement. And the idea, that, I mean, there's a lot of nuance to it, but the core idea is that the only way to deal with special interest groups is with a really powerful federal government. The federal government should kind of arbitrate all the disputes and take a look at the facts and decide how things should be settled. Um, and it's something Woodrow Wilson began advocating in the 19th century. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was a, was a big part of the movement. There was, you know, there, it's, it has a long and rich heritage, but it's never really captured the flavor, the, the, the popular support that its, uh, that its advocates hope. And, and the reason is because it is in conflict with Madison's ideas. It is in conflict with the core values of, of individual freedom. I actually give an article, uh, an example in the column from the New Deal, when Franklin Roosevelt was furious because the Supreme Court overturned one of his laws and his law would have let the federal government micromanage the economy. And he actually said, you know, this is going to throw us back to the horse and buggy era, to the idea that a farmer is the king of his own farm and can decide whatever he wants to grow on it. Um, now, to most of us, that's kind of the way it should be. Right. Uh, but, but to progressives, they were thinking, no, that there's too much competition, um, and so we need to kind of tone it down. And look, the ultimate... The reason that uh, the progressive movement continues to have passionate supporters, tens of millions of them, and maybe even a Democratic presidential nominee this year. But the weakness in their logic is, number one, it requires people to trust in government, not something that happens a lot in 21st century America. And it's hard for most people to imagine the federal government reigning in special interest groups when they perceive the the government itself as a special interest group. Yeah, wow, fascinating stuff. Make sure you watch for that tomorrow on uh, Deseret.com. Scott's piece will be uh, up and just a a really great take on uh, where we are. Scott, as always, appreciate your time. Look forward to chatting again, boys. All right, that's Scott Rasmussen joining us today. All right, we're going to step aside, bottom of the hour news break. When we come back, February 14th is coming up. We're going to celebrate it, but not because it's Valentine's. There's something more important. Find out what it is next on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. 
More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.